You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. should not tolerate the sinful things of the world. We shouldn't tolerate them in our lives. We have to get rid of ungodly influences. We shouldn't try to walk the line in the middle. We shouldn't be on the fence. Get off the fence. Get off the fence. We cannot love God and the world. We have to make a choice. Choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day who you will serve. In our world today, we see so many people give up on their morals. The world slowly wears us down, and we give in to things that we never wanted to be a part of. In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that you have to pick a side with God. Give all yourself to Him and be saved from the burdens of this world. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 13 as he continues his message, While the Leader is Away. We can get in trouble sometimes with relationship, and they cause us to compromise our beliefs in God. They cause us to sometimes turn our back on God. We need to be extremely careful about the people we hang out with, people we hang out with. He was blind to the problem, but nobody around him confronted him. No one around him confronted him. And Paul writes that if you see your brother in a sin, you need to go restore him. You need to go confront him. You need to help him through this time, help him through the sin and restore him. It says that in Galatians. But because Nehemiah made question of the lasting value of the spiritual revival he witnessed then last in Jerusalem, it was important that they get back to that. Nehemiah wanted to get them back. So he throws Tobiah out and all his goods. He threw them out. Nehemiah wasn't one to sit back and grieve. He took action. I like that about Nehemiah. When he saw something that had to be done, he did it. He throws his stuff all over the place, and then he ceremonially cleanses the room. And he finally puts the rooms in their proper use, a place for storehouses for the sacred things of the temple. When I read this, I thought of someone. Did you think of anybody? It's a Bible study. Jesus works. Remember, Jesus cleansed the temple. Remember? Jesus cleansed the temple. The money changers was supposed to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And Jesus cleansed the temple. Here you have a beautiful example of the same thing. The wisdom, not to confuse love with being nice. Do wisdom know when to take bold action? But Nehemiah is not done. Now he's going to address the financial reforms that need to happen to get back to where they were. Nehemiah is trying to take this group of people back to where they were when he left. He's trying to restore all the spirituality that they had made and all the things that they had come across and all the things that they had done, they need to get back. So let's look at 10 through 14. I, remember Nehemiah is writing this, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. 
Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shemaliah and the priest and Zadok the scribe and the Levites and Pedadiah next to them and Hanan the son of Zakor and the son of Mananiah. And they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Listen to this. The people didn't obey God's word once again regarding giving. They stopped giving. They stopped giving their tithes. They start giving their offerings. They stopped doing this. When this happened, the Levites, who took care of the temple and the priests, were no longer taken care of. They had to go out to the field and work. They had to go out in the field and do these things. They should have been given time to God's service. But all these people, the Levites and the singers, could not. They had to leave his service. So Nehemiah asked this question in verse 11. I love it. Why is the house of God forsaken? What have you done? Why have you forsaken the house of God? The lack of giving was a way of forsaking the house of God. Now, we talked about this place, how I never want to see it go into disrepair. I always want to see it as good as we can get it, because this is the God's house. I know he doesn't live here, but, but we worship him here, and we bring him with us when we come here, and he meets us here, and it's a place of worship, but it's a place of peace, and I want that to happen, and we need to be ever, ever watchful for doing the things we do. So Nehemiah gathered them all together and set them in their place. I love that. He gave them a good what for. He gave him a good what for. Nehemiah set the situation right by expecting the Levites and the singers recommit the work of serving God and his people as they should. He also reorganized the collection and accounting of the people's tithes and gifts. The Levites should have never left to go to the field, but they felt like they had to because nothing was coming in. Now I believe, and you've heard me say this before, I believe where God guides, God provides. And God has provided miraculously, and God might have provided miraculously for them too had they stuck to their guns and tried to do the things, but they caved. They caved because they were counting too much on what was being brought in and not enough on God. You hear what I said? They were counting too much on what was being brought in. Sometimes, you know, we count too much on our paycheck and not on God. No, I'm not, I know some of us have to live paycheck to paycheck, and our paycheck is important. I'm not saying that, but sometimes we count too much on it. God can give you a trillion times your paycheck. God can give you tons and tons more than your paycheck if you would but give to him, serve him, give to him. So he restored this. He restored all of this stuff that was going on in the temple. And the next thing he reforms is something that probably, in my opinion, should have been first, but it probably was congruent with all these other things. He reforms their priority. He reforms the priority of the people. Let's look at 15 through 22. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wines and grapes and figs and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about that day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah in Jerusalem. Then I confronted with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profess? Fain the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and this city? 
Yet you bring added wrath of Israel on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded that the gates be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought into on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers and all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. <laughs> gotta love, you got to love the you got to love this guy. From that time, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O God, concerning this also and spare me according to your great greatness of your mercy. I love the way Nehemiah prays. I love the way Nehemiah is so close to God that he prays. What happened here? The people had their priorities out of whack. They had their priorities out of whack. They were doing all these things and were not taking God to his proper place. Nehemiah had to put God back into the proper place into the lives of the people. God had to be their first priority. And how many times have you said me or Mark or Bill say that? How many times have we said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added? You've heard it time and time again. Well, that's true. And you know it's true. But their priorities were out of whack. They ignored the Sabbath and they were disobedient to God's clear command under the old covenant that he made with Moses. Foreigners sold and the people of Israel bought. And at the root of the problem was priorities. There's nothing wrong with buying and selling only when our desire to buy and sell to make money or spend money becomes more important to us than honoring God. God should be the first in every single thing we do. First in your life, first in any relationship you might have, first in any dealings you might have with the world as far as working. You should be the best employee ever. God should always be the first priority of our lives. I worship God. He's my God. He's my Savior. And when I think of all the things that he's done for me, it just makes me want to serve him even more. And I worship him. And that's what we need to do. We need to make the priority of our lives God. God first. And everything else comes then. But God is always first in our lives. And that was the root problem here. It was a clear way the people of Israel were putting and making and spending money before glorifying God. God was second on the list instead of being first on the list. The New Testament makes it clear that we're not under the law of the Sabbath in the same tense that Israel was. But we are certainly under the same obligation to honor God more and make important than spending and earning money. You bring wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Nehemiah knew that the sin was a personal issue. And when such sin is not corrected, it invites the hand of God. They had just come back from captivity. The rubber band had just been stretched a little bit much, and all of a sudden they went right back to their old habits. Nehemiah wasn't going to take this. He threatened that, hey, you come again, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you. I got Cousin Louie waiting in the background. I'm going to hurt you. And he didn't mean this in a gentle way. He meant he would go out there and throw them out. This was, this, was a, this was a threat. He said, hey, guys, don't come back. And it worked. So they restored their priorities. They restored the worship. 
They restored financially. They got things going here. And now, and the last thing he wants to do is give them some type of a relationship reform so that they can relationship one to another. Let's read 23 to the end of the chapter. In those days, I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over Israel. Israel. Nevertheless, pagan woman caused him to sin. Should we then hear you're doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elshabib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat, the Hornonite. Therefore, I drove him away from him. Remember them, O God, God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and bringing the wood offering and first fruits are appointed. And this is the way he ends his book. Remember me, O my God, for good. I love that. I love that. I just love that. Jews were marrying outside of their faith, which is strictly forbidden at the first covenant with Moses. And they agreed to it when they signed the new covenant after they read the word of God. They agreed to all this. So this wasn't anything new. So Nehemiah says, I contended with him. Well, I guess he did. He beat them up. He pulled their beers out. Nehemiah was crying. Nehemiah, come on. He was taking some names here. This is a strong reaction. But we gathered he considered this to be most dangerous sin of all. This he considered to be one of the most dangerous sins of all. Why? He used Solomon. What happened to Solomon? Solomon started worshiping idols because of all the women that he had married. Solomon was marrying outside of the faith. He knew, he knew that these marriages would lead to idolatry. He knew that these marriages would lead people away from the one true living God and to committing idolatry, spiritual adultery. They were going against God. I mean, however good it might look. He used the example of Solomon. We have to be careful who we associate with, not just with marriages, but whom we associate with. You know, don't be unequally yoked. You know, we use that for marriages. But I said before that we have to be careful even in our normal lives. What does light have to do with darkness? And and I've told you the story before. Anytime that happens, even with the best intentions, well, I know he's going to accept the Lord. I know that. Chances of that happen are usually slim. Usually, it can happen, it can happen, but they're usually slim. Chances are, the Christian is going to go the other way. The Christian is going to go the other way. You've heard it said before. Nehemiah says, remember me, at the end of it all, Nehemiah knew he did his best for God. And that's all we can do. All we can do is be satisfied that we gave it our best. Give God your best and leave the rest to him. Give God the best and leave the rest to him. He did his best. He led them to be pure. He led them into worship. He led them into be obedience. And, you know, sometimes you're just going to have to let them go. Remember, oh, my God, for my good. 
I believe that he also carried a sense of failure. Because a leader takes responsibility for the failure of the people. At least a good leader does. A good leader doesn't blame people. A good leader takes, to, takes the, their failure to heart. I believe that's what Nehemiah is doing. It's a shame. There's a vivid point here. The law, rules and vows, promises, covenants and such are usually powerless. They're powerless to stop sin. It's only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ can we have beginning power over sin. It's only through the Holy Spirit in us that we can actually now have a choice to say no to sin and no to temptation. You can make all the rules, you can make all the laws, you can make all the rituals, you can do all the things you want to do, but it's powerless to keep you from sin. Only Jesus Christ, by his work on the cross, can keep you from sin. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sin of flesh. Too many of us look for victory by making rules, by making vows, by making promises. But we fail to find it. We fail. We fail. I got a couple of application things I want to talk about as we close today in this neat thing. The first application I see, we should not tolerate the sinful things of the world. We shouldn't tolerate them in our lives. We have to get rid of ungodly influences. We shouldn't try to walk the line in the middle. We shouldn't be on the fence. Get off the fence. Get off the fence. You cannot love God and the world. We have to make a choice. Choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day who you will serve, whether you're going to serve the, on the other side of the river or you're going to serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that. How can we avoid these mistakes? How can we avoid these kind of mistakes? How can we keep serving God over the long term? We need to start by evaluating ourselves and our motivations. We need to consider, why do we come to church? Why do we study the Bible? What purpose does it have in our life? Why do we fellowship? Is it because of some external factor? If so, our motivation isn't pure. And when the external factor is removed, our lack of genuine relationship with God will be exposed. Do you have a genuine relationship with God, the living God through Jesus Christ? We need to develop a stronger and personal relationship with him. I can never get enough of him. I want my, my life to be more and more like him. I, I want more of him, more of him. And I'm constantly wanting more in our life. And that's what should be our, our mantra. More God, more love, more power, more of you in my life, the song says. We want that. That's why we have fellowship. That's one of the advantages of fellowship. That's why God established his church, because iron can sharpen iron and we can help each other. We can help each other. And what are your motivations for serving God? Why are you serving God? Out of guilt? Wrong answer. Out of obligation? Yeah, we certainly owe God a ton, but he wants you to serve him out of love. He wants you to serve him because you love him so much and because you've recognized how much he loves you. What do you do when you see a spiritual problem around you? What do you do when you see a spiritual problem arise around you? Do you close your eyes like Elishabib? Just close your eye and go, I don't see it. When somebody wants to, when you hear somebody talking and they're talking in an unspiritual way, do you go, la da 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 da? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be involved. I don't want any part of it. I'm not going to tell them to stop. Oh, it's not my job to tell them to stop. Well, maybe it is. Maybe God has you there to tell them, stop. Stop. When you hear gossip, do you listen in? Do you enter in? 
Are you excited about the gossip you hear? Ooh, yeah. By not telling the person to stop when they start the gossip, guess what? You're acquiescing to the gossip. What do you do? When you see somebody being tempted, do you help them? Or what are you going to do? No matter how unpopular, Nehemiah probably was hated by a lot of people, even Jews, because he forced them to do the right thing. And this day, he he forced them. He actually forced them. He gave them a good old knuckle sandwich if they didn't do what they wanted to do. But we don't force you. God never forces you. God is a God of love, and he wants you to do this out of love and out of things. But that's why we correct somebody. If we see somebody having a problem and is in trouble, we correct them in love. In love. But first, you got to take care of yourself. you got to remove that giant railroad tie that's in your eye before you can remove the little speck in their eye. you got to make sure that you have a clean heart. you got to make sure that your house is cleansed and clean. And then you can go to that brother you go to that sister and say, hey, I see there's this problem here. And you pray that they would accept it. You pray that they would accept your correction in love. You pray that. Don't be surprised if they don't. Don't be surprised if they don't. But when we back away, when we think it's somebody else's job and we back away and we say, it's not my job to do that, you're letting that person, it's almost like you're agreeing with what they're doing. And I think we have to be careful with that. These are my thoughts, my thoughts. I think we have to be careful with that. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to realize that the same people, that the same things that these people were doing, we kind of do ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. We kind of do the same things. We, we, we kind of not prioritize God in our lives. We put things before God. You know, we don't really do all these other things. I mean, it's crazy. But you look at the applications that we can make here, commitments. Let me leave you with these things. God sees everything you do. Don't worry about what people will think about you. Don't look for accolades. Don't desire their appreciation because our rewards are in heaven. God sees it, and God will reward you. So what made Nehemiah a great leader? And I have 45, no, I have 12 things that made Nehemiah a great leader. Nehemiah a great leader. Number one, he knew he was called by God. Number two, he depended on prayer. Number three, Nehemiah had a vision, and he viewed it as a great work. Nehemiah submitted to authority. Not only did he submit to God, but remember, he submitted to Artaxerxes also. He submitted to authority, and God used Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was organized. Yeah, I said the O word. He was organized. Nehemiah had great discernment, and he knew the tactics of the enemy. Nehemiah worked extremely hard. Nehemiah lived an exemplary life. Nehemiah sought to glorify God and God alone. Nehemiah had courage. Nehemiah was determined to do what God had called him to do. Want to be used by God? Those are some of the key things right there that you can apply to your life. And God would use you like he used Nehemiah. Or like he's going to use this unknown Jewish girl we're coming to study here in a little while unknown Jewish girl by the name of Esther as he uses her mightily to save the Jews of all things. You are Nehemiah 2, 17-18 says, 
Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. When Nehemiah wanted to motivate and encourage people to enter into the work of God, he didn't only tell them about the great need in front of them, he also told them of the work God had already been doing. Do you see something that needs doing, that you'd like to bring others along to do the work with you? Pray and step into the work, and when God begins to move in great ways, showcase that for the world to see. You'll find that others want to jump in the work God is already doing, but it does take a person to lead the charge. If you're seeing the need today, that person is you. Thanks for joining us today on A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the rich book of Nehemiah, and you don't want to miss a moment of it. One way to be sure you can catch it all is to head over to assurehoperadio.com. Once there, you'll find all the ways you can stay up to date with the current series or go back and revisit another one. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. Well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back with more in the book of Nehemiah next time on A Sure Hope.